And so this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and I want to talk to you about something that began to happen even at Jesus's birth. The, the minute Jesus was born, you got to understand something, that things started to change. It was a very powerful thing, though it didn't manifest on the planet, though it didn't show itself in the natural world, in the supernatural world, when Jesus hit the ground, when Jesus was born, things started to change and things started to shake. And I want to show you something. I want to pick one little little topic out of Jesus' birth, and I want to show you how he's still doing that same thing today. So the title of my message today is, O Come. And so I want to help you understand what I believe that that, that statement means. It means to O Come. And so I want to focus today on Jesus and how from day one, people were drawn to Jesus. You see, the reality is, is though you're saved today, you didn't come to Jesus on your own terms. You didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'm going to be a Christian. It didn't happen. There's actually a process that happens, and the Bible's very clear. Either the Holy Spirit or God draws you to Jesus, and I'll show you some scriptures about that later on. But basically, God picked you, and he drew you to Christ. And so we know the story about Jesus and how even when Jesus was in his mother's womb, she went to visit her cousin, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, because I just can't wrap my head around it. She goes to visit her cousin, I think it's Elizabeth, who's carrying John the Baptist. And by the way, John the Baptist was going to be the one that was going to go in front of Jesus and prepare the way. And when she walks into the room with her cousin, little John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. Explain that to me. You can't. Because it's supernatural. There was something powerful happening in the supernatural that we can't even really explain. We can attempt to explain it all we want to. But the reality is, is that in the presence of Jesus, John the Baptist left even when they were both in their mother's womb. That's incredible. And then we find in the book of Matthew how there were three wise men who saw a star and followed the star until they found Jesus. So you go, wow, man, they, they, they followed a star to find Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus. And they, they kept going until the star was over the house that he was in. And then they went in and they, and they saw Jesus. You go to the book of Luke and you see there were three shepherds who were out in the field watching their sheep and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And after they cleaned themselves and wiped their, anyway, they, they <laughs> you ever had an angel appear to you? I told children, when I was a children's pastor, I said, listen to me, angels aren't these little bitty cute things that you see on TV. So I'm big and the kids were small. I stood up on a chair that could hold me and I said, I said, this is what an angel looks like. And they were like, that's what an angel looks like. So, so you better take angels seriously. He shows up to the shepherds. He says to them, the Messiah has been born. And then he says, go find him. Here's what you look for. A baby wrapped in linen, lying in a manger. Now go. <laughs> go find a baby wrapped in linen, lying in a manger. 
And they went. And they found Jesus wrapped in linen, lying in a manger. Now, the crazy thing is, is that a manger is a very fancy word for a feed trough. And I really wanted to bring a feed trough here today, but I just couldn't get myself to get past the stuff that's on my feed troughs. Because you see, a feed trough is for an animal. It's not a human feed trough. It's an animal feed trough. Theologians believe that Jesus was either born in a barn or in a cave that was being used as a barn. And he was laid, wrapped in linen cloths, and laid in a manger, which is basically a feed trough. Now, I'm sure his mama, Mary, was a good lady, a good mama. She probably cleaned it the best she could and put some good fresh hay, because that's what you do when you're in the barn, and you're trying to stay halfway clean, is you put a lot of fresh hay so you don't get all the stuff that's under the hay on you. Nevertheless, Jesus was laying in a feed trough. And I go, wow. I go, what does that mean to me as a Christian today? The, the Savior, the, the, the one that I follow now that I'm on this earth, now that I've given my life to him, this Jesus that I'm following, his first day was in a feed trough. Are you seeing this? You see, this Christian life that I, I, I chose to live once I, God drew me to Jesus and I, I surrendered and I realized that I needed him more than I needed myself, this life that I've been drawn to hasn't been a glorious life. Can I just be honest with you? It hasn't always been pretty. In fact, most of my days are spent either in my own mess or in other people's mess. God called me to be a shepherd and I chose to follow the calling and I find myself in the feed troughs of people's lives. And I'm constantly reminded that if Jesus had to start at the bottom, if Jesus started in one of the most humble places on the planet, who am I to say that I'm too good to do that? Who am I to say that I'm too good to go get up in somebody's life even when it's a wreck? Who am I? Even the Savior of the world started in a feed trough. And so two accounts show us that when Jesus was born, people were drawn to him. They go, man, that's so awesome. It's so awesome. It's not like you had to go find Jesus. I've heard people say, you know, I found God. No, you didn't find God. God chose you. And he drew you into a place where you could begin to walk with him. Amen? Amen. I just find it amazing that God loves me enough that I don't have to go play hide and seek and try to find him. I don't have to go uncover rocks to find God. I don't have to go on this long search to find God. He draws me in. He drew me in with relationships. He drew me in by my parents who were faithful to bring me to church every Sunday. He drew me in. I'm reminded of when Jesus went to, after he was older, he, he even had this moment. He was about 12 years old, and, and they were in, I think it was Jerusalem, and, and he, was, he, was, he went to the synagogues, and he was listening to the teachers in the synagogues, and his parents just like went home. But it wasn't like around the corner. <laughs> it was like in another couple of towns. And they get about halfway home, and they realize, uh-oh, where's Jesus? I'm going, okay, you lost Jesus. <laughs> Bad mama. <laughs> You lost Jesus. And they go back and they find Jesus in the synagogues. In God's house. 
And they asked him this question. They said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, well, why are you freaking out? It's my version. He goes, well, why are you freaking out? I'm supposed to be in my father's house. Mary didn't understand what he was talking about, but Jesus understood even at 12 years old that there was a greater call on his life. That there was something incredible getting ready to happen. And so then as he gets older, in about his 30s, they believe he was, he was baptized in the river. Now, John's baptism was the baptism for repentance. John was, John's famous statement or his message when he preached to the people while he was standing in the river is, Come and be baptized for the repentance of your sins. Okay? Now, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus came into the same exact baptism, but he didn't come because he needed to repent of sin because Jesus was perfect in every way. Jesus came because that's the way God wanted it to happen. And then Jesus was baptized in the water just like every common person was. Think about this. He started in a feed trough. He was baptized in the same water you would have been baptized in. Jesus didn't come down with chariots and and gold and splendor and all that. He came down as common man. And when he relates to us, he relates to us right here. Not, not from some lofty place that he doesn't understand what we're going through. He relates to us right here. And that's the thing I think some Christians have a hard time with, is, is with the fact that Jesus can meet you right where you are. He'll go into the mess of your life, and he'll meet you there. Isn't that good news? He'll meet you in the darkest places and in your darkest hour. Jesus comes up from being baptized, gets tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, defeats the enemy with the word of God. And then Jesus goes to select his disciples. And this is how he did it. (laughs) Comes by some of the first ones and he says to them, they were fishermen. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Simple statement. Come follow me. Maybe it sounded like, hey, won't you come and follow me? I'll make you fishes of men. You think catching fish is incredible? I'll get you catching men. Just come and follow me. You see, that's the invitation that he gives to every one of us, even still today, is to come and follow me. Aren't you glad? that he still makes that statement today to come, to come and follow me? How many of you have fallen into sin? Just a hint, you better raise your hand or else that's sin. (laughs) We've all fallen into sin, right? We've all drifted away from God at some point or another. We've all chased idols. We've all pursued our passion so hard that we actually put some distance between us and God, it seems. And then we woke up one day either in our sin or our our idolatry or pursuing our passions, and we went, okay, uh uh-oh, I did something wrong. Something's not right. And then what happens? Well, you got a real-time enemy that comes, and he tries to condemn you. And he tries to push you down, right? He wants to hold you down. And so he's pushing you down. You got a real-time enemy that's pushing you down. And just when you think it's just about over, something supernatural happens. 
you'll know what I'm talking about. Something inside of you after you're under the crushing pressure of condemnation or guilt or shame from whatever you did, something happens and something calls you out of that. It's a supernatural calling by which you start to hear God's voice and you start to hear him maybe starting to call you and he's saying to you, come, come back, come back. You see, the enemy was getting ready to throw a party because he thought he finally got you. But, but he forgot that Jesus is still calling you to come back. Come back. And then what happens is you go, either you run into somebody. I've heard people, they heard a song on the radio and they started weeping. I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to argue all those things. I know I've had songs come on the radio and I started crying. I can't argue with that. I don't know all the tools that God uses to draw us back. But I know this for sure, that even when I'm in my darkest pit, even when I've done the dumbest thing on the planet, Jesus still calls me back. He still calls me back. Sometimes he uses people. The scripture is clear that the goodness of God draws us to repentance. Repentance means simply this, to turn from following Satan to follow Jesus. It's in Romans. But you don't know that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Now, if you get stuck in the Old Testament, you would think it was the wrath of God that leads you to repentance. But the truth is, it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. So repentance is turning from following Satan to following Jesus. Can I just say, come back? God uses many different ways to call us back. Man, I'm so grateful today for all the different ways that he's called me back. In my 43 years, he's called me back. You see, I was raised in church. I was there three times on Sunday. I didn't need more church. I needed some relationship. And I ran, and I ran hard away from God. And I found myself in some dark places, doing some dark things. And when it seemed like I was losing control the most, it was when Jesus called me back. I wish I could tell you I woke up one morning and said, you know what? I'm tired of being high, drunk, and chasing women. I'm going to follow Jesus. That didn't happen. I came back kicking and screaming. You see, in the process of me running from God, my wife got saved. God, (laughs) I was resisting. God, I wasn't coming back, but he got my wife And she was a thorn in my side. Because I was trying to run with the devil and she was trying to figure out how to run with God. Right, babe? And God drew me back through my wife. Who was just a little old Catholic girl. Who got shunned by her aunt because she got married in a Baptist church. And then she got saved one day. Jesus called me back. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to read some scriptures to you. Actually, go to John 6, first. I don't know why I'm even saying that. You didn't bring your Bible to church. <clears throat> John six forty four says this, For no one can come to me, Jesus speaking, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. 
And at the last day, I will raise them up. Jesus says, you can't come to me on your own terms. You can't come to me just because you want to. You can only come to me when the Father draws you in. And oh, by the way, on that last day, I'm going to come get you and I'm going to raise you up and we're going to go on together. Come on, isn't that good news? He's going to come back. He ain't going to forget you. (laughs) Oops, I forgot about so-and-so. Jesus said in John 12, 32, he says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. From the beginning of the Gospels to the end of Revelations, you can constantly see how Jesus is drawing men to himself. Jesus is drawing people to himself. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He likes you. It's not that he's trying to get something from you. Watch this. He's trying to get next to you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He's not even trying to control you, really. He just wants you to follow him. And if you'll follow him, you'll begin to do what he does. And then all of a sudden you'll wake up one day and say, you know what? I ain't who I used to be. I've been changed. Why have I been changed? Because I decided to follow Jesus and not myself or the world or the devil anymore. Right? He loves you. Can you wrap your mind around that today? That Jesus loves you? God loves you? You know, most people have a problem with God because they had a problem with their earthly father. And God ends up getting this bad rap because your earthly father was ruthless. God will end up getting a bad rap because of him. But can I tell you that despite what your daddy was like, God is still God. He's who he was in the beginning, and he's going to be who he was at the end. He's not going to change. He's always been this good, and he's always loved you this much. Can you believe that today? I know as a believer, not even as a preacher, but as a believer, I got to constantly come back to the place where I remind myself that God loves me. That God loves me. I was going over my message last night and I had a moment where I just, inside my heart, I just began to feel just like enlightened in a sense where I was just like, man, God, you really don't care about everything that I do as much as you care about me. And I just, I constantly feel this call to just be me and just be his. Is that okay? Can we just be God's children? Can we just breathe a little bit? Relax? And just be his kids? I want to read something to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. It says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. 
Did you hear that? The Word of God is saying, who dare accuses you? No one. Because God Himself, the only one who could ever accuse you and it stand, puts you in a rightful place with Him because of what Christ did on the cross. That's good news right there, y'all. Verse 34, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Some translations say that he's interceding for us. So get this. Jesus died on the cross. He ascended to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the father. The devil comes every day with accusations against you. Oh, you seen that attitude? Oh, you, you, see, you, see, you see that sign they gave that person at the red light? <laughs> you, you see this? You, you, did you hear the statement they just made? And he's constantly trying to accuse you. And Jesus is stand, sitting at the right hand of the Father going, that's been washed. That don't stick. He's washed in the blood. She's washed in the blood. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Can you say amen? The accuser comes every day and Jesus intercedes or pleads or defends you every day. Meshach, he loves you. (laughs) A lot. It gets even better. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Where's those religious people that told you nothing bad supposed to happen to you? Tell them to go read the Bible. Can anything ever separate us from, the Christ, from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we go through trouble and calamity? <laughs> For your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Come on, somebody, that's good stuff right there. Not even your own worries about tomorrow can separate you from God's love. Not even the enemy can separate you from the love of God. Dear God, when the, when the church begins to believe this, We will be unstoppable. You can't even separate your own self from the love of God. Look at your neighbor and say, man, that's love. I heard a a priest one time, he married my brother-in-law, and he was a smoking priest, and he had one of these, these, what's it called, babe, a trach, and he had to talk through this thing, and and he's a really cool guy, a little bit dirty, but because he made some comments outside. But he's a priest, and you know, he was cool. And and he he was he, it was kind of hard to understand him. And and when he would say love, it sounded like wub. 
And he must have said it a thousand times when they got married. He's like, wub, wub, wub. God wubs you. And it always sticks in my mind. And every time I talk about the love of God, I hear this old priest, wub, wub, wub. <laughs> I don't know. I think God just, he likes to love me. And it's funny. <laughs> 39, no power in the sky above or on the, in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed, it's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Let me ask you a question. Can you believe that today? Can you believe that God really loves you that much? Like seriously, don't just shake your head. Like, can you believe it? Can you wrap your mind around it? Can you wrap your heart around it? Can you open up your heart and let him put some of this love inside of you? Because that's what's going to change your life forever. It's the love of God. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've been. It doesn't matter what people say or think about you. God still loves you. He chose you and he drew you to his son. I hope you can believe that today. Because to be honest with you, that's the story of Christmas. God's love is the story of Christmas. God's love is the story of the Bible. It's really a love letter to us. I want to wrap it up with this one story. Just to show you something practical. Jesus goes on and he, he does his ministry on the earth. He was, he, drew, he was baptized around the age 30. And around age 33, he was crucified. He only had about three, three and a half years to do ministry. But man, he left an impact, right? At the end of his ministry, he was arrested. You remember the whole garden thing? He was arrested, hung on the cross, went to the grave. On the third day, he rose again from the grave. And then he began to appear to his disciples. You remember all those crazy stories? He walked through the wall one time. Thomas didn't believe, so he showed him his scars and his piercings, and then Thomas believed, right? And so Jesus begins to show himself to his disciples. But there's one part in the story that I just find fascinating. It's, it, it's, found, in, um, it's found in John 21, if you want to go there. In John 21, and it's an, it's an incredible story. I, I encourage you to study the whole chapter. I want to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to. I'm going to try to paraphrase it for you real quick. Basically, all the disciples are together. And, and it, was, it was Peter, it was Thomas, it was Nathaniel, it was all these guys. They're all together. And Peter, remember Peter, Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times, right? When Jesus was on his way to the cross, Jesus called him out. Jesus predicted it. He said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. The rooster didn't crow three times. Peter denied him three times, then the rooster crowed. That Peter, after the third time, when he heard the rooster crow, Peter backslid. What does that mean? It means he slid backwards. <laughs> Peter goes all the way to where he first started. Peter was one of Jesus' personal disciples. He left everything. Remember the beginning of the story? Dropped his nets, left his daddy with the business, and took off and followed Jesus for three, three and a half years. And now because of what he's done, he's back. So he messed up. He failed. He denied knowing Jesus. Right? He finds himself all the way back in the boat. 
All the disciples are together. They hadn't seen Jesus yet. Peter goes, you know what? I'm going fishing. <laughs> Some people tell you that if you go fishing on Sunday, that means you backslid. I don't go fishing on Sunday because I can't ever catch nothing. I feel like I ain't blessed to catch nothing on Sunday. My butt needs to be in church. <laughs> so I come to church instead of frustrating myself by not catching fish. But either way, Peter found himself all the way back where he started. And the rest of the disciples says, well, we're going to come too. So they're out fishing all night and they're not catching anything. And Jesus is sitting on the shore next to a fire. You got to put yourself in the story. And he hollers out to him and says, hey, y'all caught anything? Man, no, we caught nothing. Well, shall I throw your nets on the other side? The fish are on the other side. And they threw their nets on the other side. And the Bible says that they caught so many fish that John said, John had this revelation because that's what happened the first time they met Jesus. You remember the story? The first time they met Jesus, he filled the nets up so much that the boat was sinking. And they came to the shore. Then they dropped the nets and they followed Jesus. But he backslid. He messed up and he, he failed. And he went back fishing. Jesus came back again. And he says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And when they did, and they caught all them fish, John said, oh my gosh, that's Jesus, y'all. Peter trips out so much, he puts his clothes on, because you didn't fish with all your clothes on. He puts his clothes on, does this Forrest Gump thing off the boat. Seriously, that's what the Bible says. He left the boat and he took off after Jesus. Left all the guys to bring the fish in. But he was the one that denied Jesus three times, not the rest of them. I want to read one portion to you. Starting in in verse 8. Let's go to verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus left said, Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, sit yourself on the beach and watch this. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now come on, y'all, Jesus is good. He didn't run down and get a snack pack, a value meal, a pizza, a box of chicken. Jesus prepared a meal for the one that denied him three times to welcome him back. Peter comes running off the boat and he finds Jesus. You got to put yourself on the beach to understand this. finds Jesus on the shore. He's got bread prepared. He's got fish prepared. He says, hey, Pete, come on, eat breakfast with me. Hey, Pete, sit down, man. Come hang out with me, buddy. I miss you. You okay? Think about how Peter felt. 
You see, if it happened when Jesus was born, it's still happening today. That Jesus is saying to every single person listening to me this morning, come back. Come back. And all of us are coming back from different places. Some of you have backslidden to a far place. Some of you have just started to drift away. Some of you have been caught up in some sin and there's some things that you just need to leave behind and come back to him. Some of you are pursuing your passions and your hobbies so hard that you just, Jesus is calling you to come back. He's not saying you can't have those things. He's just saying, don't put them in front of me. Just come back and be with me. Just come sit down. Just come sit down. Can you just come sit down for a minute? Come sit down, buddy. Let's eat some breakfast. To me, that's one of the, the most beautiful stories in the Bible. And I can relate to it. The rest of the disciples come down. (laughs) Jesus says this. He says, hey, bring some of your fish over here too. Let's eat some of your fish. Bring your stuff. Bring your catch. Come on, let's sit down with your stuff. And him and his disciples had a meal. And I don't believe there was any strings attached. I don't believe Jesus had a hidden, a hidden agenda for the meeting. And so they're there eating breakfast. And Jesus says, hey, Pete, you love me, man. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, all right, Pete, take care of my lambs. A little while later, he says, hey, Pete, you love me, bro? Jesus, yeah, I love you. You know I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Okay, Lord. Third time, Jesus says, hey, Pete, you love me? Peace, like, Lord, you know I love you. He says, okay, Pete, feed my sheep. And then he says these words to Peter, and he says it twice. You can read it. He says it twice. He says to Peter, follow me. Just follow me. So when I hear the the statement, oh, come, I hear it like this. Oh, just come. Just come just like you are. Ah, don't worry about that. Just come. Don't try to get rid of all your stuff. Don't try to hide your evidence. Don't try to clean yourself up. Just come. Just come. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. What day are you supposed to be saved today? Today. You know what that tells me? That Jesus is always sitting on the shore of your life with a meal prepared, waiting for you to step out of the boat and sit down with him And listen to me, just enjoy him. Just enjoy him. Don't endure him. Enjoy him. That's the kind of relationship we have with the baby that was wrapped in linen and laying in a feed trough. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. He wants it so bad that he's the one preparing the meal. 
Can you see the anticipation in his actions? Can you see the expectation that he has? He's sitting at the shore with the meal prepared and he's hoping that they realize it's him so that they'll come and share a meal. The book of Revelation says that if, behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone, say anyone, if anyone would open the door, I will come into him, watch this, and he will, he will, and we will, and we will sit together, I will, I will sit at the table of your life and I will dine with you. Oh, we got to get this. You can't go too far. It can't get too dark. And it's never too bad. For Jesus to, to get you to come back. So no matter where you're at today. If you've never given your life to Jesus. Today is your day. If you've drifted away because you've been chasing other things. Today is your day to come back. If you've been distracted by sin. Or shame or yourself or guilt and condemnation, Today is your day to come back. I don't know where you're at but you can still come back.